You take your Bibles, if you would, and open to Luke chapter 2 for just a few moments. You'll know as well as I do that the reason for Christmas is we are celebrating the birth of Christ. We are celebrating the fact that God has come in human flesh. We are celebrating the miraculous reality that the little baby of Christmas is actually a rescuer of lives. That is a tremendous and marvelous reality that Christ came to rescue us in our greatest need. And to drive that point home once again this morning, I want to take you to Luke chapter 2 and to look for just a few moments at Simeon's words to Mary. If you were here last week during the morning service, we looked at Simeon and his response to the birth of Christ. We saw his incredible reaction to this. But we didn't look at the last part, verses 34 and 35. And I want to take you there this morning for just a few moments because it's at that part where Simeon anticipates not only the fact that this child had come, but that this child would die. And that's really the part of Christmas that we need to remember. Christmas is not just a sweet, innocent holiday. And for many people, as I said last Sunday night, that's how we leave it. That's where we, where we leave Christmas, with a cute, sweet, innocent baby in the manger. For many people, Christmas is a sentimental time, a, a time to just kind of have good feelings about a little baby. But we must not sanitize Christmas. We must not sentimentalize Christmas. And we must realize that that child that was born came to die. If you don't understand that, if you don't understand that Jesus was born to die, then you don't really understand Christmas. And it's this reality that Simeon mentions here at the end of his interaction with Joseph and Mary. I want to read verses 25 to 35, and I want you to follow along as I do so. It says, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, let your servant, your bondservant, depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel." And his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. You remember last week that we met Simeon. And we saw how God sovereignly orchestrated the circumstances to bring Joseph and Mary and this aged man, Simeon, together in the temple. It's been 40 days now since Christ was born. He was circumcised in Bethlehem on the eighth day, and Mary and Joseph have made the six-mile journey from Bethlehem to Jerusalem. And they're there to 
offer purification sacrifices for Mary as required by the law to offer sacrifices after the birth of a child. And they were there to dedicate their firstborn son to the Lord. This was required by all Jews in the Old Testament and even up to the time of Christ. They were required in recognition of the, uh, the Passover when God delivered Israel from Egypt and he killed the firstborn of all the Egyptians. The Israelites were to remember this by dedicating their firstborn to the Lord. And so Joseph and Mary, unaware of a man named Simeon, are on their way and they arrive in the temple And they're there to offer the sacrifices and perform the dedication. Simeon himself does not know at this moment that he's going to meet the Messiah. We saw a number of things last week. Look at verse 25. The first thing we saw last week was the character of Simeon. And we saw in verse 25 that there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. Here is a godly man. A very godly man. He's called righteous and devout. And it says the Holy Spirit is upon him. And he's looking for the consolation of Israel. That means that Simeon understood and knew exactly what the Messiah would be. It's a messianic term, the consolation of Israel. And Simeon is looking forward to the time of comfort and hope and restoration for them as a nation. He knows that the king who's coming would not just throw off the yoke of the Romans. That's what most Jews believed. He knew that this Messiah would bring personal salvation. He would restore them as a nation. He would bring in the kingdom. He would be their king. There would be a time of peace and joy, and the world would submit to and honor the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Simeon knew this. And he was one of the very few remnant who were looking forward to the coming of the King of Christ for the right reasons. This is the character of Simeon. Secondly, last week, we saw the commitment to Simeon in verse 26, and it has been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Somehow, God, through the Holy Spirit, worked in Simeon's life to confirm to him and to communicate to him that he would see Christ. He would see the Messiah, and he would not die until that took place. He's most likely an aged man. He's lived most of his life. And perhaps for weeks, and not months, and maybe even years, he woke up every day thinking, could this be the day that I see my Savior? The character of Simeon, the commitment to Simeon. Thirdly, we saw last week the comfort of Simeon. Verse 27 and 28, and he came in the spirit into the temple, and when his parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms and blessed him. And I said last week, I wish Luke had filled in some details, because I want to know what happened in that moment. How did Simeon know this was the Christ? And what did they say? And how did they introduce each other to one another? And what were their words, and how did they interact? But Luke doesn't tell us all those details. But it must have been a tremendous moment for Simeon. We don't know exactly what he expected. Maybe a warrior. Maybe a king. Maybe a political kind of leader. We don't know exactly what he expected, but we know what he got. He got a tiny baby. And I wonder for a moment if Simeon thought, this is the Messiah? This eight-pound, six-week-old little baby is the Messiah? 
I have to imagine there was a flood of emotions that overcame him at that moment as he looked into the face of this little baby and he looked into the eyes of Christ and as he embraced this little package, he was embracing his salvation. Tremendous. Well, that's all he needed. He needed nothing more at this point. His life was complete and he, and he could go on and, and die that very moment because his life was now complete. Verse 29, he says, now, Lord, you're releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. Simeon says, I've seen everything. I've seen it all. I've, I've, I've lived now for the thing I've wanted to see. My waiting is over. My hoping is over. And now I can go home to be with the Lord. And then he spoke these wonderful words in verses 30 to 32. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. This is Simeon's song. Mary had a song. It's called the Magnificat. And Zechariah had a song. It's called the Benedictus. This is Simeon's song, the Nunc Dimittis, the first two words in Latin of his words. He says in verse 30, my eyes have seen your salvation. God's rescue plan right there in that little baby. And verse 31, he says, which you have prepared in the presence of all the peoples. This was something that God did. This was nothing that Simeon did or anyone else has done. None of us have done this. It's all God's plan. He has done it. It is his plan by which he will bring salvation to the world. Verse 32, Simeon calls him a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The light of revelation to the Gentiles. Simeon is a Jew, and he recognizes that salvation would come to the Gentiles, to you and to me, through this Messiah. So we've seen the character, the commitment, the comfort of Simeon. I want to show you one last thing very quickly this morning. It's the comprehension of Simeon. The comprehension of Simeon. I want you to notice verses 34 and 35. It says, And Simeon blessed them and said to to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rise of many in Israel, and for a sign to be opposed, and a sword will pierce even your own soul, to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed." There's something Simeon knows. We're not told how he knows. We don't know how he came to know it. Perhaps the Spirit of God impressed this upon his heart and revealed this to him. We're not entirely sure how Simeon came to know these things, but he knows something about this Messiah. What is it? That this child would divide people. He knows that this child will will divide people. He knows that this child will be polarizing in his life and his ministry. He knows that this child will be the great divider of mankind. You can see it here in verses 34 and 35. Words like opposition, fall, a sword. We get a glimpse here into the fact that Jesus' life and ministry will be filled with opposition. Up to this point, it's all been joy. Up to this point, it's been all 
happiness. It's been all wonder. It's been all marvel on the part of Joseph and Mary as they've heard some incredible things about Christ being spoken about him. They, they've heard about the fact that he's going to bring joy, and they've heard about the fact that he's going to bring peace, and they've heard about the fact that he will reign over the house of Jacob, and he will rule on his throne of his father David. They've heard all of these tremendous and wonderful things about their son. And for the first 40 days of his life, it must have been really a marvelous thing for them to contemplate and to ponder the fact that their son would reign and would have a throne and have a kingdom and have a dominion. And I have to imagine their hearts in the first 40 days of Christ's life have surged with joy. But the joy of this occasion is now tempered by the words of Simeon to Joseph and Mary. Opposition? Falling? A sword? I wonder if this is the first time that this reality really sunk into Joseph and Mary's heart that it wouldn't be all joy initially, and it wouldn't be all peace. Notice in verse 34, he directs his words to Mary. It says, and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother. Why not to Joseph and Mary? Why doesn't it say, he, he, he said to them? Why does he direct his words to Mary? I'll tell you why. I think Simeon knew that Joseph wouldn't be around for much of Christ's life. The only record we have of Joseph after the life of, uh, of Christ, or after his birth rather, was on the journey from their house to Jerusalem, and they met in Jerusalem, and they were there for a few days, and they began to travel back, and, and there came a time when they thought that Christ was with them, and they realized he wasn't, so they turned around, and they went to find him, and they found him in his father's house, and then they said, where were you? And there was that interaction between them. Joseph is seen there, but never after. We don't know for sure if Joseph was even present when Christ began his ministry. Most likely not. He wasn't there when Christ started preaching. He wasn't there when Christ started teaching. He wasn't there throughout the three-year ministry of Christ. And he definitely wasn't there when Christ hung on the cross. But Mary was. She was there through it all. She was there when he began his ministry. She was there when he taught. She was there and heard the crowds. And she was definitely there at the foot of the cross. So Simeon knows this. And he directs his words to Mary. And he says in verse 34, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. Simeon says there's going to be two responses. Some will rise on Christ, meaning they will receive him and they will trust him as their Lord and Savior and they will respond to his message of faith and repentance and salvation. But there will be many who actually, he says, fall. They will fall. They will not receive him. They will, they will reject him. They will oppose him. They will resist the call of God in their life. They will resist the gospel message, and they will live their lives in continual opposition to Christ. 
It's incredible. The Jews, the people whom Christ came to redeem, his very own people, would be the ones who would reject him, and that's exactly what happened, isn't it? Those people that Christ came to save. John 1.11 says he came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. He was rejected by his own people. Paul in 1 Corinthians 1.23 says, We preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles' foolishness. To the Jews, Christ, on the most part, was a stumbling block. Peter says the same thing. He says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 8, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, for they stumble because they are disobedient to the word. Most would reject him. Most would resist him. And as he goes on to say in verse 34, there would be a, a sign to be opposed Simeon's words mean that that Christ would be the very embodiment of the very things that people hate. And they hate having their sin exposed, and they hate being brought into the light, and they love to stay in the darkness, but Christ won't let that. So Christ signifies what people hate, and because of that, he will be opposed, he will be rejected, he will be spoken against, he will be hated, he will be vilified, he will be tortured, and he will be ultimately executed. A sign to be opposed. Put yourself in Mary's shoes for just a moment. Every mother, moms, you know what this is like. You want the best for your children. And certainly this would have been hard for Mary to process as she hears these words spoken about her son. It gets worse, though. Look at verse 35. And a sword will pierce even your own soul. Simeon says to Mary, Mary, this is going to get very personal. It's going to be very, very, very personal for you because your heart is going to be ripped to shreds by the things that are going to happen to your son. A sword will pierce even your own soul. And that word for sword is not makaira, the little dagger that you can inflict some surface wounds with. It's the word ramphaya, which actually refers to the long, broad sword, the sword that can kill, the sword that can maim, the sword that can inflict great pain and great sorrow. And Simeon says to Mary, that kind of sword is going to pierce your heart. She would be deeply hurt by the events that would transpire in her son's life. And I wonder on Mary's part how often she thought about these words. For 30 years, she was with her son. She watched him grow up. She taught him. She parented him. I have to imagine most of those years were wonderful years. I mean, parenting a perfect child, that's got to be kind of happy, right? But I wonder if in the back of her mind, these words of Simeon were always there and the dread and the wonder were constantly in the back of her mind thinking about what would happen to her son. She watched his public ministry launch. 
She heard the opposition. She saw the growing jealousy. She saw the unbelief on the part of her very own people. And she was there at the foot of the cross when her very son was nailed to it. John 19, verses 26, verse 26 says, When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. She said to John, the, he said to John the apostle, John, take care of my mom. Listen to Ironside as he describes this. He says, I wonder... Quote, if these words did not come back to Mary as she stood by the cross and saw her blessed son nailed to the tree, as she looked upon the thorn-crowned head, as she saw blood spurting from every wound, as she saw the hands that had been pressed upon her brow so many times nailed upon that cross, and those feet that had gone about carrying their blessed owner on errands of love and mercy spiked to that tree. Her sorrows must have been deep indeed, and yet she knew that all was foreknown of God and that it was her appointed destiny to bring into the world the Savior who was thus to give his life as a ransom for all, end quote. Must have been a tremendous weight for Mary to carry, and yet she did. Why does it have to happen this way? Look at the end of verse 35. To the end that thoughts for many hearts may be revealed. Why did Christ come? He came to reveal the condition of every person's heart. He came to be the dividing line. He came to be the line of demarcation. He came to reveal what was in the heart of every single person. Because listen, what you do with Christ determines what's in your heart. There's no neutrality with Christ. You're either for him or against him. You're either at peace with him or you're at war with him. That's it. There are no other options. And so Christ came to reveal the true character of all people. So what's Christmas about? Christmas is about the coming of God in human flesh. But that baby that was born in Bethlehem didn't remain a baby. That baby was born to die. And that baby was born to die for our sins, to give us life, and to give us hope. And what have you done with Christ? You're either for him or you're against him. That's the only other option. There are no other options. And so this morning, we celebrate and we rejoice in Christ who laid down his life for us. And I ask you, do you know him? And are you walking with him? And are you worshiping him today? because he is the light of the world. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful that you've sent your son. We're so thankful that, God, you have entered this world in the form of humanity. You've taken on human flesh to live among us. And Lord, I thank you so much that today is the day we get to celebrate, we get to remember, we get to rehearse and look back 2,000 years and remind ourselves of the great gift that was given in your Son. And so, Lord, as we go through this day, may we truly celebrate, may we truly worship, and may we truly give you the honor and the glory that you are due as we remember the great gift that you've given us in your Son, Jesus Christ.
We thank you that the baby that was born was born to die. And we give you praise and glory for that today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.